This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. I'm sorry, folks. I'm just checking my nose. Let's see if it's grown because I lied to you. Not not on purpose. That's not what we do on this show. Never, never, not intentionally. No, well, I don't. Anyway, um, I said to you yesterday that Ramya Muthan would be back today. No, I actually think you said it, Brock Richardson, who joins me again today. One of you. But the fact is, she's away. But do you ever think about, Brock, when you sign off as the host of the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio, you can find those podcasts, by the way, of previous shows, folks, available um, while during its run. Uh, do you ever really hesitate or learn the lesson over your time doing the show? I better not commit to that. I better not say that because what if? And I know myself signing off on the show all the time. I'm even careful. With, and we'll see you tomorrow. Yes. So... Uh, if you were a follower of the show as a regular uh, as a regular a regular person you would know that at the beginning i like at the beginning of our run i would say joining me would be claire buchanan and cam jenkins well it only took me about two or three times to realize oh let's not do that because maybe claire or cameron or whomever isn't able to join us on that day so yes it is it is hard. I mean, I even I even on Friday said uh, in our uh, pre-show meeting for this show, I said, "Oh, Kelly and Romeo will be back on uh, Monday." Yep. So I I said Kelly and Romeo will return, and alas, I have been here since Monday. So it's uh, you never do know, but no. Romeo will ev- no, it's, it's, eventually it's, return. And you second guess yourself. And you second guess yourself, right? Because, you know, and that's just, I'm being silly a bit, folks. I'm not even sure if it was Brock or, or I, but you do think these things out as a host. You think, well, hold on, <laughs> especially when you're not really sure. So uh, obviously we're settled in here, folks, and you are here. So we're back together to do another program for you. Let's see what's coming up on today's edition. On our nutrition chat with Julia Caranches today, we talk about vitamin C and what it's good for and where do we find it? What foods? What are some woodworking tips for individuals who have low vision or vision loss? Jeff Thompson lets us know all about that in a bit. And the NBA season officially tips off today. We break the Toronto Raptors down for you and all things basketball with Randy Urban of NBA TV as he joins us back on the program later on in Hour 2. Adolis Garcia homered twice and drove in five runs as the Texas Rangers reached their first World Series in 12 years with an 11-4 blowout yesterday of the Houston Astros. This was in Game 7 of the American League Championship Series last night. Uh, Astros right fielder Kyle Tucker says his team was simply outplayed in its ALC loss to the Rangers. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you're in this game to win, and we weren't able to do that. But you know, the Rangers played a really good series. They have a really good ball, ball club. So wish them all the best in the World Series. So yesterday on the show, 
call you out again here, and I'm not trying to be <laughs> bad form here, but both of us, in theory, thought, oh, come on, Houston will be Houston. They've got the experience. They've got the skill, the know-how. They've been here before, as mentioned in that clip or what I read a moment ago. Texas, many years since they've been. Um, Brock, during the broadcast, my notes tell me, from what I recall, there were many comments of, it's like Houston's just putting time in here. There's no sense of urgency. There's no, what, have they won this too many times have they been here? What's going on? And we know, um, Houston, did I say Texas? I meant Houston. Excuse me if I said Houston, uh, Texas. Houston was just standing there. But we know through the season, bro, they made adjustments to go for this, the full nine yards. Yeah, and I think what I found to be even more sort of puzzling, and I didn't really click into this, was that manager of the Houston Astros, Dusty Baker, has said that this season would likely be his last now he might make us out to be liars but we'll see i i just thought to myself for a guy that's been around the block and won a bunch of world series like no effort at all like you'd swear this was a game in the middle of july somewhere (laughs) like i just (laughs) thought do we not recognize that we're in the championship series and nothing to take away from garcia garcia had a outstanding series outstanding game as you mentioned but just i thought there would be more fight from uh, houston and i'm really surprised that no home team won in that series yeah what did it for texas are, are we seeing a display of the amount of money paid fourth biggest salary in major league baseball or the offense coming alive when it did, we saw them dismantle the blue Jays like they were nothing. And a couple of occasions like that throughout the year, but throughout the year, not necessarily a dominating team as you would expect. Yeah. I just think that they adopted the underdog sort of theory. I don't think anyone expected them to be where they are. I don't think anyone expected them to get past the Toronto blue Jays as easily as they did. And then they just kept rolling. And to me, they carried that momentum through and through on this. Absolutely wonderful for them in the sense of what we're seeing. And I'll be honest, both these series have been exciting. I mean, Brock, the long ball is it. Not not fantastic pitching, which we've started to see that dismantled as well. It's the, the hits, the home runs, the balls going down into places where people are chasing them down and having to really do work and maybe some great attempts at throws, some successful, some not, uh, to get you know runners out. But I think that's the part, and that's what you want to see for the ratings, that's for sure. We step aside for a couple of moments, folks. When we return on Ask a Vet today, Dr. Danielle Johnkind joins us. She's going to be talking about the wild horses of Sable Island. We get into that right after this. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. You know it's that place, folks, where we're always having a good time. And just to prove it, a week to Halloween, so we need a favor. 
please send in your in-costume Halloween photos, maybe a little description of who's there if you want to share that and you're okay with it, uh, but certainly for our audience so we can describe the costume, what you are, and, and any little detail you want us to add in that description. Just a couple of words will do fine, and we'll do our best to put them out over the air over the next little while and, and comment on them when we are uh, here on the show and put you across Canada, national TV form. So send it to Kelly and Ramya at AMI.ca. Kelly and Ramya at AMI.ca. And we'll see if we can start getting those up as soon as you people start checking out the costume, making sure it works, or just before you get to whatever function you're going to. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And that would be really kind of cool. Kelly McDonald, I'm at the London, Ontario home studio. Brock Richardson, he's at the studio filling in today for us on the program in Kitchener. Halloween costumes are for real at AMI. Like that is, it is a thing. So yes, it will be good to see pictures. What's good to do now is bring on Dr. Danielle Johnkine as we do this time every week. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. Dr. Danielle is joining us with her avatar of a phone and a character in a ponytail today. So one of the effects of globalization is that people have moved around the globe and with modern times, they have brought with them some animals and plants, and some introduce some non-native plants and animals into the ecosystem as they have never seen before. And today we're talking about an example that's right here in Canada called S Stable Island. Dr. Daniel Junkine comes to tell us all about that. So let's start with where is this place we're going to be talking about today? Well, actually, uh, from what I could find out, um, Sable Island is this kind of unique island. It's a constantly changing sandbar island located in the North Atlantic. Uh, it's about 300 kilometers southeast of Halifax, Nova Scotia. And the island itself is pretty tiny. You know, it's only about 42 kilometers long, and it's just over one kilometer wide at its widest part. Um, it's home to a large uh, breeding colony of gray seals, and it's an important habitat for a number of species of birds as well. Um, the island is apparently entirely covered in sand dunes, and the coastline is constantly changing because of erosion from the wind and the waves. Um, there are no large trees there, but there are some grasses and some small shrubs, so it's kind of a really unique place. Wow. Wow, what a nice picture of it when you think about what it is, especially for species, and you hope fairly dis, you know, undisturbed by, by human behavior. How did horses get there, Danielle? Well, you know, it's funny because when I got looking into this question, you know, there was a lot of sort of urban myths and legends mm -hmm. and, you know, and that sort of thing. But 
um, Sable Island itself has kind of this long and complicated history and it sits right in the way of those historical shipping routes between Europe and North America. And the area, I guess, there's a lot of like really um, dangerous waters for ships. So it's known for causing shipwrecks. And according to, you know, some of the stuff I read, various shipwreck survivors over the century have kind of been washed up on Sable Island in the past. Some survived to be rescued, but a lot didn't. And people finally set up lighthouses and a rescue station on the island in the 1800s. And that, you know, helped to sort of save some of these shipwreck survivors. Um, a small number of people have been on the island permanently for various reasons ever since they set those um, those um, lighthouses up. So the horses there have a lot of different origin stories. And one of the more popular one being that they swam ashore from shipwrecks. But mm. most of the sources seem to agree, though, that they were actually deliberately introduced there by a man named Thomas Hancock. And what they think happened was um, the horses are likely the descendants of um, horses owned by the Acadian people um, who lived in, you know, that section of um, what was then Acadia. And they were Mm -hmm. deported by the British in the 1700s. And when they were deported, they were forced to leave all their livestock behind. And, you know, some opportunistic people went in and rounded those up. And some of them of ended course. up on, yeah. <laughs> some of them ended up on Sable Island thanks to this Thomas Hancock. So apparently, other animals were left there as well: cattle, pigs, foxes, cats, dogs, and all of the other animals died out. And the horses were the only ones that survived. And they've been living there since the 1700s. They eat um, beech pea, algae that washes up on shore, and grass that grows on the island. Um, they've also been added and removed from the island at various times in the past as well. You know, at one time, you know, again, those opportunistic people kind of rounded them up and sold them as working animals or, you know, for slaughter, uh, which is pretty sad. But in the 1960s, the Canadian government announced that they were going to remove this herd from the island, but there was a massive public outcry. um, And in response to that, they passed a law to protect the horses there instead. So the population on the island has been increasing. Makes since me then. laugh when I hear that, Danielle. We're going to remove yeah. these. You're what? No, no, no. We were just kidding around. We're going to actually pass a law and protect them. <laughs> exactly. You got to love the winds of politics, eh? Oh, but, boy. So now the island supports, you know, give or take about 500 horses. Um, and it's now a national park managed by Parks Canada. And they regard the island's horses as a naturalized wild population of animals. So while the while their ancestors were domesticated on um, domesticated horses, the horses that are there now are what they call feral. So they're not fed by humans. They receive no veterinary care. People are not allowed to touch them or go anywhere near them. And even researchers, you know, can only photograph them and take samples of droppings and things for their research so you know but their presence there you know is still the source of some controversy actually (laughs) so what is this controversy that you alluded to briefly well you know as in any controversy you kind of have two camps of people so in this case they're the people who want the horses to stay there and then of course the people who don't and if we look at the let's leave the horses there stance first 
Um, Sable Island's horses have become something of a cultural icon for Nova Scotia and to some extent for the rest of Canada too. And, you know, they've kind of captured the imagination and become this symbol of freedom and survival in the face of adversity. Um, people have written songs and books about them and there's all kinds of photographs of them. Um, you know, so they've adapted to the island and have now lived there for over 250 years and their population is increasing. So they're really much beloved as one of those unlikely success stories. And a lot of people feel they should be allowed to go on just as they have been up until now. The other side of the argument, of course, is that Sable Island horses are an introduced invasive species and that they could be causing ecological damage to the island. And there are also some people who argue that the welfare of the animals is compromised by having to live there. Um, the winters, of course, can be harsh and the life expectancy of the horses there is much less than that of horses in captivity. Um, so, you know, they have some issues like a high parasite burden and the sand kind of has, um, you know, a lot of dental problems and uh, cause them to starve to death if that's, you know, something that uh, affects them later in life. So there's kind of two sides to the issue. Would you say that there's some basis to these arguments? Well, you know, it's that's a really good question. And, you know, nobody really has any idea what the ecology of the island was like before the horses got there because they just didn't study those things back then. You know, so they really have no idea what effects they've had on the island in the last 250 years either. And, you know, you might be wondering how horses could affect the ecology of a region. And actually, there's a researcher by the name of Dr. McLaughlin of the McLaughlin Lab of Population Ecology. And he's looking into this Sable Island on behalf of Parks Canada. And, you know, he suggests like, you know, hoofed mammals um, like horses, they trample the areas they graze and they eat the vegetation down. And so they promote um, the continued survival of plant life that can tolerate this kind of trampling and grazing. So we see that in grassland ecosystems all over the world. I mean, large herds of migratory hoofed animals eat their way from one end of the grassland to the other in a seasonal fashion. Um, so, you know, they trample seedlings of plants that can't recover from that kind of damage, like trees, for example. And But right. grass has no trouble with that. So, I mean, in Africa, they have those huge herds of wildebeest and zebra. In North America, we had uh, the Great Plains were once grazed by bison, you know. Um, so, you know, and in a way, we kind of also do the same with grassy lawns. You know, you don't get trees growing in areas that are regularly mowed. And Dr. McLaughlin also pointed out that these horses act as an agent for dispersing seeds and fertilizer, and we all know what that means. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they can also affect the conditions in the freshwater ponds on the island as well. Um, so they published an article about this in a journal called Veterinary Practice News. And he pointed out that it's possible the horses are benefiting the native species on the island by eating the weedy species that might take over. And, you know, to sort of answer this question once and for all um, about how the horses are affecting the ecology, they're in the middle of what they call the fences in the sand study. So that's going to be pretty cool. So what are they doing with the fences in the sand? Well, basically, they're just fencing off these small portions of land and a few of the ponds with electric fencing to keep the horses out of them for a period of four years. Um, so before doing this, they studied the island's ecosystem as it currently was, so they'd have a basis for comparison. And they're just watching to see how the fenced off plots change when the horses no longer have access to them. 
Uh, the results, of course, aren't out yet. They're still working on it, but I'm really excited to see them. You know, I'm kind of hoping maybe they can finally put this controversy over the ecology question to rest. So you, you mentioned that there are people with those animal welfare concerns out there with the animal, with the horses living out there on Sable Island. So how would that question get resolved, do you think? Oh, you know, that's a really tough question. And I yeah. personally, I, I think it'll continue to be a controversial one. You know, on the one hand, you know, the, the argument that the horses are now considered to be wild animals. Um, you know, Canadians don't worry about the life expectancy of wolves or grizzly bears deep in the forest. You know, they don't expect that those animals will receive veterinary care unless they're captured or end up living in captivity either. Um, they're just wild animals and we leave them to their own devices and let nature's population control mechanisms do their thing, you know. Um, as long as the populations of wildlife are at healthy levels, you know, we're okay, this is good, we're happy. But, you know, since the horses are increasing in population over time, I guess that's something to consider. Um, on the other hand, you know, we have to look at the other side of the argument, which is that these horses are domesticated animals that have gone feral. They would not be there if we hadn't put them there in the first place. And they're uh, lives are not exactly easy living on this sandbar in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. And we're responsible for that situation, just like we are for the presence of feral cats. But I suspect since politicians are involved in the decision making, um, I would guess that it's the court of public opinion will eventually decide the answer to the ethics question yeah. of leaving the horses there or not. And it, it you know, always surprises me, Danielle, when you think how the heck out of all the other creatures that were there, how did they last? How did they survive? Yeah, yeah, they were adaptable enough to the conditions there to do it, you know, and that's pretty amazing. They're pretty tough, tough little ponies, <laughs> you know, but I guess the other thing to think about, too, is the effects of climate change are being felt across the globe. There's more severe storms um, and rising sea levels, you know, could eventually be a real problem for a low lying island like Sable Island. So that may play into it as well. We'll have to wait and see. When there's two sides to an argument, there it's always harder to solve the issue when two sides are passionate about their point of view. And so that's sort of where I look at this and say, yeah, it's probably going to take some time. Danielle, thank you so much. Always great to chat with you. And we'll chat with you again next week. Sounds great. Take care. That was Danielle Jonkine, our veterinarian, and she was talking about Sable Island. She will be back next week for another edition of Ask a Vet. You know, you always think about history and how things happen. And that, boy, what a story there. What a bunch of queries that make you say, hmm. And, and things, again, a lot of them, we'll never know detail by detail, but fascinating. Coming up next on the program on our nutrition chat with Julia Caranches, we talk about vitamin C, what it's good for, and what foods do we find it in. We'll get into that in two minutes. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Well, we're working the way through a Tuesday edition of our show. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern live. And then you can find us on repeat at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. We do have an AMI-audio announcement to make. We'll, we'll remind you of this throughout the shows. Um, the simulcast of the show will stop 
This Friday is our last edition where we're on both AMI-audio and AMI-tv live. Um, for AMI-audio listeners, you can find us starting Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So the live show you can catch on AMI-tv if you're in Canada at 2 p.m. Eastern. Otherwise, folks, please join us via the repeats or the first initial airing on AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern. Or, of course, subscribe to the podcast. Kelly McDonald here. Brock Richardson, he's at the home studio in Kitchener, Ontario, filling in today. And, folks, every other Tuesday we are joined by nutritionist Julia Karanchis. Hi, I'm Julia Courageous. Join me on Kelly and Ramya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. Always have some great chats with you, Julia, and make me go away and think, ah, yeah, I do that. Okay. Hey, I'm good at that. And I'm noting because I am pretty good with my vitamin C, but other things, of course, I kind of, oh, Today on the program, we're talking about vitamin C, what it's good for, and where can we find it? What food's out there? Nice to have you back. Thanks. Yeah, I, I can't believe we haven't talked about this before, but it seems very appropriate. I was, you know, I was chatting with another healthcare practitioner the other day, and she was mentioning how she had made a suggestion to a client of hers who had been a child to have a little bit of vitamin C, maybe even via orange juice, with all of the meals that that child was having that contained iron because vitamin C helps with iron absorption. And that yeah. really just inspired me to write the segment because obviously it got me thinking about all of the other wonderful things that vitamin C does for us. And it's, you know, and it's pretty important. So I thought we should highlight it today. I used to chuckle when I was in school uh, because through history and geography, you know, we t when I was in school, we talked a lot about the finding of Canada and the landings in different countries and so on, those huge boat trips. And of course, it would come up vitamins, vitamin C, particularly for these sailors that were on the ocean. So as a little kid, I learned quite a bit about the importance of it, whether we understood or my family understood how come it was eat an orange. I don't really like orange. Well, let's see what else we find it in. Um, so, so important. And of course, we're heading into cold and flu season. So definitely, it's appropriate to talk about it now because vitamin C it, it is that great thing for the immune system, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Vitamin C is an antioxidant, which enhances the immune system. And it also plays a role in tissue growth and repair. So it's vital for the immune system. So very important to consider adult or child as we head into, you know, the very common cough, cold and, and flu season right now. If we look deeper into vitamin C, what else is it good for? And why would we take it every day? Great question. Well, we want to eat foods that contain vitamin C or take a supplement because our bodies do not manufacture vitamin C. So we have to either eat it through foods, which is the preferred way, or be mindful of the fact that we're not getting it through food and take a supplement. Because again, our bodies cannot make the C. So it's really important that we, that we eat it. You know, vitamin C, as I just mentioned, is very helpful for iron mm -hmm. absorption, also beneficial for the immune system, but it's, it's needed for over 300 metabolic reactions in the body. C is used for adrenal gland function, which is our, you know, our stress, 
our stress response glands. It's used for healthy gums, the metabolism of other vitamins, such as folate, which is needed for energy and the formation of red blood cells. It's also essential for collagen production. So collagen, which we've talked about before, we know helps with joint health. So keeping inflammation down and mm -hmm. building of cartilage, which is a component of the joint. We need the vitamin C for that. So, I mean, there, you know, you can't pigeonhole this vitamin. It's good for so many things, general health, and then even more specific things like I just mentioned. So we can really start to understand the importance of this water-soluble vitamin. I know I get lacking in my uh you know oranges and so on where i think oh it's the best way really to take it in so i make sure that i always have the vitamin going into the system too because it seems so important would we say julia that probably and again i hate to quantify it this way maybe you're going to tell me calais you can't do this is it really the most important vitamin uh, ooh, or well, does it affect oh, the most maybe i should say it question. that way I know, I know, because I don't want to exclude yeah, anything I else mean, and have maybe, someone saying, well, well yeah. you know, I don't like that, so I'll take more vitamin C instead of that. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, yeah, so understanding that vitamins are separate from minerals, and, I, you know, maybe, maybe it is the most important. We, you know, vitamin D is right up there as well. Right, so, of course. So important, vitamin, yeah, so I'd hate to, you know, invalidate any of the incredible work that vitamin mm -hmm. D does, but vitamin C is, I mean, I definitely put it up there and let even, let's just say the top three. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and of, so important, like I said, for kids and for adults. Of our priorities. Okay. Um, so then what foods can we eat to get our vitamin C? Well, obviously everybody just automatically associates the orange um with containing vitamin c and we really can now talk about all citrus fruits we know that lemon also contains vitamin c and berries as well strawberries are a great source of vitamin c but also vegetables can contain vitamin c broccoli is a great example asparagus and brussels sprouts great example of a vegetable that contains vitamin c onions spinach We've talked multiple times about adding spinach into smoothies. We know we can add it into omelets. It cooks down really small. And so you can add it into so many dishes. So spinach is a great way to get some vitamin C. And then other leafy greens too, for example, Swiss chard. So if you perhaps don't like cooking with spinach, you can experiment with some other green leafy vegetables and Swiss chard would be a good example of that. And then there's actually also herbs that contain vitamin C. So things like parsley, peppermint, fennel, fennel, if you're not familiar, it has that, I guess, a black licorice taste to it, you know, like a nisi flavor on the tongue. So maybe not for everybody, but certainly an option if that's a flavor that you like. Um, even paprika, paprika comes from a type of like kind of a pimento, which is a type of bell pepper and bell peppers contain vitamin C as well. So it's really interesting, you know, this food chain, how it all works. So even herbs can contain vitamin C. So if you're eating a diet high in vegetables, you're certainly be going, going to be getting a dose of vitamin C. And then you'd also want to, you know, be paying attention to getting an orange and some berries uh, cantaloupe as well would be a good example. So if you've got a speckle of those fruits and those vegetables, you're, you'd be getting vitamin C in your day. Mm. Ju Julia, if you decided like um, 
you were going to take tablets as an example of vitamin C, maybe to boost it up a little bit more. Is there a benefit to the tablet versus the food? In other words, what I'm asking, does the food give you more than the tablet? Oh, that's a great question. No, the tablet would be a, well, there's, first of all, the tablets and chewables that come in different forms. They do come in different dosages. For example, you know, a children's chewable would contain half the dosage of an adult chewable. And then some of the tablets that you swallow and don't chew would even maybe have a little bit more. Um, but you, you know, you're typically getting a higher dose when you take the supplement. The supplement is great when you're actually sick and you want, you know, a really high dose of that vitamin C to help get you over that sickness so that you're not having to eat an entire container of strawberries, which probably isn't going to sit very well in your stomach. All those clementines. (laughs) All those clementines, which do go Uh down very fast. I mean, I can, you know, three clementines is, I think, a a nice serving. Nice Um, average. (laughs) But yeah, it's a nice average. They go down fast, you know, easy to handle. Uh, But with the food, you're going to be getting other nutrients, which is a bonus. And you're going to be getting that, you know, the whole active eating where you're chewing and you're releasing enzymes. So with the supplements, you'd want to take them with food, you know, irregardless of whether you were taking a high dose or not. Um, so there's definitely perks to eating the food. But if, you know, if you're sick and you want a really high concentration, I would take vitamin C. But, you know, I do want to throw this in speaking of supplements and you want, you know, if anybody does want to take a high dose of vitamin C, there is a tolerance factor. So if you start to play around with supplements and you think, oh, I read this article, I'm going to take this much vitamin C, it could actually upset your stomach and you'll have a really loose bowel movement. And that's when you know you've hit your tolerance. And so you're less likely, you know, going to get that when you're eating the food, but you might get that if you start over supplementing with the vitamin. And I hope that comment didn't just steer people away because if you take it as directed, you're going to be okay. But if you take too much vitamin C, you're going to have a loose stool. Yeah. The body says that's (laughs) a lot. Like, come on, you've done enough. But the other issue, the other issue we have to understand too is know yourself because there's times of the year, especially around Canada, other places in the world where folks are listening in now, where they're saying, listen, I can't get a hold of some of those things that you listed off at mm-hmm. that time of the year for two months or six months, whatever it might be. So we do have to be so mindful of what supplements. Absolutely. Very helpful. Supplements are helpful. Also, you know, they don't go bad. I mean, they do have an expiry right. date, but yeah. they're going to last yeah. you way longer than any of you know food will. So it can be a much more logical option for a lot of people. I mean, I always have vitamin C in my cupboard. I don't necessarily take it every single day, but it's certainly there available to me. And it's okay if I don't take it every day because it's going to last me for the next 18 months. So it, you know, it's there when I feel a little more lethargic, when my diet hasn't been very good, or when I feel that scratch in my throat and I think, oh, something's brewing, something's coming, mm-hmm. coming on. And then I'll, I'll definitely reach for it. Can you cook the vitamin C out of a food? Is is there such a thing? Oh, yeah, that's such a great question. You know, we well, it is a great question because we tend to not cook fruits, but we do cook vegetables. So that's definitely something to consider when you're looking at where you're getting your vitamin C from. And yes, vitamin C is a temperature 
sensitive vitamin and it can degrade if you cook it for too long or at too high of a temperature. And so if you, for example, let's say you're cooking with spinach or broccoli and you want to put it in a super stew, perhaps consider adding it at the end of the cooking time. So if you're trying to simmer the beef and soften stewing beef, you know, you're stewing for about an hour, you know, broccoli and spinach don't need to cook for that long because they don't need to cook for that long. They get soft in a couple of minutes. So maybe add those at the end, but yeah, it, cooking can contribute to degrading the vitamin C in the food. So definitely something to consider when you're looking at where you're getting your vitamin C from. You know, you're less likely to cook a cantaloupe or an orange, yes, more likely yes. to cook obviously a Brussels sprout or a piece of broccoli. So if you're only getting your vitamin C from cooked food sources, it's definitely something to keep in mind that perhaps you're not getting as much as you might think that you're getting because you could be okay. cooking. Um, steaming, steaming the food instead of boiling it was found to preserve the vitamin C content. So also maybe changing the cooking method can help with this. Um, and also cutting down on the length of the cooking time, right? Okay. So again, like I said, adding yeah. that broccoli or that spinach or those Brussels sprouts at the end. Real quick, fruit or vegetables, does it matter which one you're getting your vitamin C from? Is there more potency? Not unless you're cooking them. Okay. Yeah. I awesome. mean, they're all going to have different amounts, and it depends if they're cooked. Fantastic, Julia. As usual, thank you very much. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, guys. Covering off vitamin C with us today on the program. You can join Julia Caranches for our nutritionist talk. Every two weeks on the program, Opposite Wellness with Francis Wong. Up next, folks, Mardi Gras 2023 takes place on George Street on uh, Saint, uh, uh, in St. John's later this month. Community reporter Kim Thistle arrives to give us details next. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Over on AMI-audio, folks, this weekend, do yourself a favor. Catch the Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time. This week, Joita speaks to Max Bro about a number of recent initiatives to promote employment among persons with disabilities. That's the Pulse this Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific time, and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio, available also on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. I'm Kelly McDonald with Brock Richardson. Well, we always love to uh, welcome in our community reporters. And this one has a bit of an extra special welcome back. And that is that we're going to be joined by Kim Thistle from one of my favorite places to visit in Canada, St. John's, Newfoundland. Kim, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back and seeing everybody. Hey, how's everyone doing? We're doing well. We want to know how you're doing because we understand you had a busy summer. So before we delve into topic number one, maybe you can give us a synopsis of your time away. Wow, synopsis. That's hard to do. I, I can't even put it to words. Incredible, breathtaking, astounding, like every adjective you can think of. It was just a wonderful, incredible adventure. I started off 
in Orkney Islands in Scotland, went through down to Scotland, Edinburgh. We did a week in London, a week in, in um, Italy, which was my dream place. But I fell in love so much with Scotland and we traveled around the Highlands. It was just met wonderful people, had delicious food and fabulous adventures. Like I still don't think I've processed nice. it all. Right. I don't know if I post that again until I look at all my pictures and it's like, oh, boy, I did that. I did that. <laughs> wow. What a whirlwind. That That is wonderful. Kim, when you guys planned it out, you had yes. specific places like you said, Italy, your kind of, you know, dream place to go to. But what made you select the other place? I know we touched on this before you left so many months ago and, you know, I had to refamiliarize. Who is this lady when you came back to the show? Now I know who you are. Uh, but But tell us how you picked all that out. Um, well, I guess first for my partner, Warren, he was fascinated with Stonehenge and those standing stones. Oh, and he heard yes. two video. It said that the, these were younger than the ones, the oldest ones were actually in Orkney. So that sparked his interest because Orkney is a little island. There's several islands or, around there in Orkney and Shetland. So we did Orkney. And there's the, the Ring of Brogdor and the Standing Stones of Sinness and Scarabray. That was there before the Egyptians were built. built before the you know the tombs were pyramids were built in Egypt so he was so fascinated with that so that's how that part started so I was thinking I live on a rock I live on a little island why do I want to go to an island magical magical it was just amazing like that I can't even talk about and the Italian chapel that was made by prisoners of World War II uh, the Italians they made a chapel out of a barracks and whatever they could find if that was just so fascinating and then going in as we went on our trip we were in london we were no we were in edinburgh and he said to me on a saturday night want to go to london on tuesday and we said sure <laughs> so we went to london for a week just like that <laughs> so some things were Beautiful. very moment. <laughs> That's those, nice. are the, those are the kind of trips i love the ones that aren't like necessarily planned sure the bulk of your trip is planned but the ones where you just pick up and say we're going to do this and this is how we're going to do it. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that as we can live uh, vicariously through you and your trip. Let's begin with your topics that you have outlined for us. Mardi Gras 2023, downtown St. John's on George Street. Do tell us more. I mean, can I, do I need to say any more? You visit George Street. You know what I'm talking about. The many, many different clubs, the different options. you got the Irish pubs. you got the dance clubs. you got... Oh, my God, jazz club. But what happens on during Mardi, Mardi Gras, which is this Saturday night coming, I thought a fabulous toy price, $20, and that opens up the whole street. So the street is buried off on each end of George Street, but you have access to all the clubs. And there's three different DJs performing throughout the night. I don't know the DJs. They may be, you know, for that generation they know the music and who's going down there but Mardi Gras is always a fun time I'm telling you bring a sight of you will need a sight of God I mean I need a sight of God everyone when anyone with visually appear because downtown is you know you do have the cobblestone you have the stairs going up into the clubs you have you know uneven steps there's just that type of thing but most of it will be outside hopefully I meant to check the weather forecast see if it's going to be a, a nice evening for Prizes for best costume, always a great time. I mean, downtown with the energy and the atmosphere is a good time. I mean, I was encouraging my youngest son. He just turned 19, so that's the legal age for drinking here in Newfoundland. I said, you got to go down for Mardi Gras. And he said, I don't know if I want it. And, you know, I said, everyone needs to experience this, in my mind. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Even just your little bit. I understand some people, especially if they're not into that noisy, the crowd or the drink, whatever. But to go and just kind of take a look when you have a street like that with so much there and and a, and a, and a heartbeat like that, do you need to sit there and drink or or do something? No, you don't need to. You can go and just soak it all up regardless. Sounds good, Kim. Um, let's move on to your Halloween dance with uh, CCB and CNIB. So this is their partnering up this year, so which is a, a great ven venue. So it's um, no cost, which is always perfect, isn't it? <laughs> so no oh, church. yeah. We're all for that. Yeah, we are. Woo! Um, you can <laughs> if you want. I do, but like, I will be dressing up. I, I'm, I mean, I'm the one who dresses up to give out Halloween candy at my door. So I will be dressing up. You know, go in food like my um, tickle trunk, like Mr. Dress Up Head. <laughs> it's not as good as <laughs> But I, so that's actually on Halloween, October 31st, next Tuesday, Lines Chalet. There's a, a ramp to enter into the chalet and there's stairs. They leave all the lights on, which I love because, you know, some of us have mm -hmm. partial sight. Um, and you bring your friends, your families, whatnot. So come from 7 to 11, Lines Chalet. But they will be having um, ticket draws, like, so to, you know, bring some extra cash, toonies, loonies, that type of thing, because they will be doing prizes throughout the night. And there'll be, you know, nib nibbly food, bring your own booze. So it's, it's, it's a funny. And Shane is a member of CCB and Lions Club, and he does fabulous music. He has a music business on the side. He's visually impaired as well. And he does a great job for getting us up on the dance floor for the night. Yeah. All those um, scary songs, I, I want to say, even though we're talking more novel novelty songs, Kim, like the Monster Mash. Um, Kim, do us the favor too. send us the picture when you're in costume. Uh, we'd like to show some pictures of, of our listeners, of our contributors, of our community reporters throughout the next week on the show. So if you, when, you, when you're getting yourself together, maybe send it in if you can do it before our, our Tuesday show uh, at the latest. But I won't be going to the dance till Tuesday night, so you may not see me then. It might be too late. It might have to be an excuse to get dressed up and go down to George Street Saturday night. I mean, I'm sure they'll chase you off the street cobbles and all, but it depends on the costume. <laughs> I know. I gotta get my girlfriend's round up. I don't know if they're interested in going on George Street anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what your son's going to say? You're trying to twist my arm. But anyway, if yeah. you get that opportunity, or or Kim, you're always good. If someone else is dressed up or whatever, send us in a picture or two, a little description. We want it. We'd love it. I will. Yeah, for sure. It's all. It's always creative how people come up with their costumes and uh, and and things like that on Halloween. So it should be good time. Oh, and absolutely. People in Newfoundland know how to party. So uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> I uh, I I love the name of this next one. I think it's a play on something else, possibly, maybe an old yeah. show. Tell me more about socks in the city market. Okay, but yeah, I, I know where you, what show you're talking about, but it has no connection to it. Um, this is a fundraiser that I'm um, a Facebook friend that I met through, um, you know, we're we're cancer survivors, breast cancer survivors. And I don't know her. I've never met her in person. But throughout the years, she's always posting about these knitted, you know, mittens were knitted by such and such. And this is beautiful cats and things like that. So it's something a, a, a labor of love for her. And I don't want to say labor because I think it's so much of a passion. So it's socks in the city, et cetera. So I just want to read from my phone so I don't miss out all the different vendors that, vendors that are there. So 
It's the 11th annual holiday sale of lovely things in support of Daffodil Place and One Night Stand Against Cancer. So it's, Daffodil Place is um, a, a facility here in St. John's for fam patients who have to come in for treatment here at the Health Science Center. So there's no cost to them. So the funds from this pays for their night to stay, however many nights they need. So that's a fabulous cost. And One Night Stand Against Cancer is another organization. They're different things. They have, and this is what's so lovely about it. Hand-knitted socks, hat, mitt, et cetera, by cancer survivors and friends. And I went and did a, a, a knitting session, you know, this summer. And I was sitting next to this lady who knits socks and she does a beautiful job. And um, I was a beginner learner, but she's a breast cancer survivor as well. And she said she's been supporting this for a year. So that touches my heart. And buy local, like we're always talking about. We have um, balsam fir Christmas wreath, collectible china teacups, Christmas vintage, punch needle creation, hooked rug, fairy tale gingerbread, art prints, uh, wild island treat and jelly, old fashioned cinnamon ornament, belt wooden and embroidered and quilt, and works of art, and best of live music, caroling, pink days in bloom, garden fairies. 50-50 draw, chance auction, and fun prizes. So I know throughout the, the event will be selling tickets, and I've seen some of the, the prizes that can be won, and they're quite phenomenal, like a rucksack, a, a backpack made locally, um, a wreath that are made locally. So this is a, a great opportunity to get your Christmas shopping done, plus you're supporting a fabulous cause, because I don't think there's anyone here in Newfoundland, Labrador, or anywhere that hasn't been touched by cancer, one way or the other. It, it really is fascinating when you, fascinating uh, moving when a bunch of people can get, you know, behind a cause and, and do for the greater good. That's really when you see the community get together and, and, and bond for something that, as you point out, and rightfully so, everyone's been touched in some way, shape or form through cancer. So it sounds like this is a great cause, uh, something for everyone and Sounds like maybe we'll have a little bit of fun too on top of that. You got it. And oh, I forgot to tell you where it was. It's in part of St. John's, Southlands area, Glen Denning um, Golf, Golf Court. There is, there's a ramp going in and it's one level. So it's, a, it's, it's accessible. I would imagine there'll be lots and lots of people there um, to, to see that. And it's nice to sort of see the accessibility add on to that as well. So Really great stuff, and uh, yeah, we just uh, wish them all the best with their you oh, know, yeah. raising of funds and things like that. I'm certainly promoting it. So November yeah. the, get the date right, November the 5th, and you owe $5 a mission, and you need to wear a mask. Well, for sure, for sure. And, and you know, Kim, we know all of us um, have that connection. We we know people who have done that walk, for sure, and and had to deal with cancer rearing its head in one way or another, either ourselves or family. So uh, I love when there's these things and especially people who really speak for it and oh. encourage the rest of us to think about it and get in there. And because I think we feel how important it is to, to the individuals like yourself. Thank you. Yeah, certainly. And like I said, this is her passion. So, yeah. And I love watching her posts and how excited she gets about it. So it's truly, it's, and that's it. And they're beautiful items. You almost need to come down here to be buying things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you hear. And that's what, that's the people who know the importance, right? Who contribute and make sure those items are available. Yes. 
for sure. And you can get something yeah. that's a Tim, thank you so much for another outstanding report. And we'll talk to you again in probably about a month. Take care. Thank you. See you later. That was community reporter in St. John's, Newfoundland, Kim Thistle, giving us a much needed and highly anticipated report. As we mentioned, she'd been gone for a while. So nice to have her back. I wish they were having their uh, Halloween dress up party. Uh, like on next Monday so we could actually get pictures because Kim loves her camera and it'd be so cool to get her, her partner, everybody kind of the, what they're wearing makes a good show folks. So, you know, if we can't get her, maybe you can, uh, maybe you can send us in something to Kelly and Rumya at AMI.ca and we can be able to take a chance, show the pictures right here on the program. Brock Richardson, Kelly McDonald here in the next hour of the program. We, the NBA season officially kicks off today. That's not why Brock's here, really. But we will break down the Toronto Raptors and all things basketball with Randy Urban of uh, NBA TV when he joins us later on. Also, what are some woodworking tips for people with vision loss? Jeff Thompson, he'll be here to let us know. But up next, the Working Group for Accessibility and Inclusion is now taking new applications. Medicine Hat community reporter Tony Freimar has more for us and gives us all those details right after this to begin our second hour. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Settling in for another hour of the show. Thanks for being with us. Check it out via podcast, if you would. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform to Kelly and Rumya. While you're in there, if you wouldn't mind, give us a rating and review. Joining me today from Kitchener, Ontario, that's Brock Richardson over there. I'm Kelly McDonald at the Home Studio London, Ontario, as we work our way through uh, another edition of the program. And glad you can be here wherever you are listening in on AMI-audio around the world or checking us out on AMI-tv right here in Canada. Uh, we already did one community report today. We've got another. We're trying to catch up. You know, we had some some days off where we weren't able to bring these to you. Not going to take the chance, folks. Not going to happen where you're going to miss out on them. So today we check in with one of our community reporters. Tony Frymark joins us from Medicine Hat, Alberta, for today's report, this month's report. Tony, welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. You guys got that white stuff and the, and the cold over there? Oh, geez, she can't be saying that stuff on the air. That's foul language. They're going to start beeping <laughs> out. No, none of that here. Not yet. Oh. Not even Not even wet snow yet. Oh. Where's the wood, Brock? Lucky you got you wood guys. there, Brock? Lucky you guys. Yes. Uh, do you guys lots. have some? Uh, yes, we do. It, it happened last night, and the cold is happening as well. Ugh. Winter. Gotta love it. Any, eh? snow any snowball fight or not enough? Oh, I think I could round up enough snow to to have a snowball fight. I was going to say it might take up the whole lawn, but, you know, because that's what you get here. You'll get that little skiff of snow and, and stuff like that. And as little as I can see now, I wouldn't be able to tell. But I remember as a kid, I'd, oh, there is snow. And how excited I'd be. And my dad would say, calm down. You can't even make a snowball. Don't even bother. And certainly don't go lay in the mud out there and make an angel. Tony, hey, Kelly, um, at what point should we share the... Uh... I'm just going to say hopefully that? it'll be gone by trick-or-treating. It'll probably be gone by tomorrow. <laughs> What's that, Brock? Uh, was... No, I wouldn't go that far, Kelly. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> All right, by, by Saturday. 
I was going to say, at what point should we tell her it's like 20 degrees in our area right now? Oh, true, true. Yeah, I just looked at the just, weather. Yeah, That's just being mean, oh. though, to poor Tony. Mm. Uh, Tony, I know, it's that kind of thing, right? What a way to get her going. Get her upset, ruin her day. She sees snow and then finds out about the heat here. Tony, now taking applications for the working group for accessibility and inclusion. You want to share what this is about? So this is where there's uh, about 12 people that sit on this committee and we talk to departments within the city to make this city more accessible and inclusive. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very, very valuable. They, they do listen to a lot of our input and suggestions. And it's really good to have a a bunch of people with varying disabilities to get together. You get together once a month, take off the summer months, and yeah, the applications are going to be, you can get your your stuff in next, uh, next week on November 1st. You can either go down to City Hall or you can just do it online on the city website. You can find all, all the information there. So a great bunch of uh, bunch of people sitting on that committee. So yeah, if anybody's interested, feel free to send those applications. You got till four thirty next week. And to get that feedback from the people you know on the committee or what you hear the scuttlebutt around town, I think that's amazing because unfortunately, a lot out there can attest to being a part of a committee like that where they feel nobody's listening to me. They're not hearing me. They're not hearing our our group and what we have to say or they're powerless to do anything, to make changes, a lot of groups will, will say. So that's a real positive thing. It sounds like a really lucky kind of group. And definitely, I mean, giving your opinion is awesome at any time, but when you know there's a willingness to to bring about change. That's wonderful, Tony. Truly is, yeah. Your uh, second topic is CNIB Mobile Hub. Yeah, this is really cool that this is actually coming to Alberta. It's coming to Red Deer next month on the 7th. And so the this is just for, say you're not able to get into any services through the CNIB with... Uh, at your location, wherever you are. There's not very many CNIBs within within Canada, right? There's only the few within Alberta, like the Calgary and, Calgary and um, Edmonton. So yeah, there's this mobile, mobile bus that will go around and you can get all sorts of services, whether you want employment, uh, technology training, or just to have a look at some of the technology. The schedule and such is on online, but I I heard that they're hoping to get it here into Medicine Hat too. So pretty cool, pr pretty uh, pretty good to to know about for sure because people aren't really getting too many uh, opportunities. You know, the waiting list can be pretty long to get into services through CNIB if you just go to your local office. So. This might give you a better better chance to get your get your help. Yeah, and with how we're familiar with, you know, um, mobile things with, you know, uh, COVID and things having to be moved and shook around, this is this is a great opportunity for people to access the services that they may need if they uh, can't get it elsewhere. 
It truly, yeah, it really is. Like, this is a great, great opportunity. I love the idea of it coming to you. Um, CNIB Red Deer Peer Support Group. Yeah, be prepared. It's coming on Halloween Day. They're going to be having it uh, in Red Deer at the library. So I'm sure they're going to have some pretty cool activities. You can be able to meet uh, some people dealing with vision loss or if you just want to hang out and bring your concerns. It's always good to to meet people with, with vision loss. So that's happening at the Red Deer Library. Nice. And then is that the location where a lot of those kind of peer support or CNIB kind of events yeah. like this happen? It's kind of a neutral place, right? Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, and I think that's a great place to have, have it at the library. People probably know the area and there's always rooms available there. Yeah, and, and don't have to worry about accessibility for people's different circumstances. Tony, it sounds awesome. People always like that venue where they can chat it up, meet other people, but also be heard. Yeah, that's that's right. All right, we'll let you go mess around in the snow there, whip some snowballs at people, create a havoc, enjoy yourself. <laughs> Thank you. You guys have a good rest of the week. Oh, yeah, well, I'm sure Brock after this is going to go out in this 20 Celsius degree weather. Mm -hmm. Anyway... Tony Freimark is our community reporter in Medicine Hat, Alberta, joining us. We talk to our community reporters once a month here on the program. In a couple of moments, coming up next, we've got some tips for you. What are some woodworking tips for people with vision loss? Mr. Jeff Thompson, he's going to arrive here in a couple of moments to join Brock and I. He'll let us know, certainly, after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back to the program. I just want to again mention a little note, ladies and gentlemen. Starting next Monday, uh, we will not be simulcast at the same time on AMI-audio. The show will begin at 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. We will be on AMI-tv staying at our 2 p.m. live show airing, but not simulcast at the same time on AMI-audio. That uh, time for the show, if you want to catch it, uh, catch it wherever you are, hey, man, you don't lose out. You still get your runnings of the program. It'll just start two hours later on AMI-audio. Um, and again, for AMI-TV viewers, check us out at 2 p.m. Eastern time, same time as normal. Kelly McDonald settled in here with Brock Richardson. It's uh, time for Woodworking with Jeff Thompson. Let's bring him on. Jeff, Hi. today we're I'm talking about Let's talk uh, some practical woodworking from a blindness perspective. It's not, can I do it? It's, how can I do it? Now let's get started. Jeff, today we're talking about some of the tips you have for individuals who are blind or low vision. Let's start with some of your top tips you have for us here today. Well, hi, Brock. Hi, Kelly. I think some of my top tips that I've developed over the years of woodworking, you know, a lot of failures, a lot of reasons why I picked these five, I guess. I, there's probably 15, 20. Hmm. But out of these five, I think the, the number one that usually people have trouble with is how to apply glue to your wood project. And this is one of those things that when you're standing up a board on its edge, 
and you have a bottle of glue, well, first of all, you got to open up the glue. And if you squirt, squeeze it just a little bit, sticking straight up, it'll blow some air. You'll hear the air. That way, you know you're not clogged or the glue has dried up there. The other thing is the weight of the glue bottle. How much glue is in there? So when you tip the glue down, how to aim it, I usually hold my index finger and my thumb like you're showing someone how big an inch is or whatever is. And I straddle that board along its side and I put the tip of the glue bottle right gotcha. in between the two. And thus I can then slide right down the edge of the board and I can feel when I come to the beginning and come to the end. So that's one way of doing it. And the other thing is, you know, do a test, do one inch and see how much comes out. I just switched to a different type of glue, a type bond three from type bond two. Who knew that water resistant was totally different than waterproof? <laughs> so, but type on three is a lot wetter type of glue. It comes out faster. Mm. So I had right. to readjust my speed that I'm going across and how much I'm squeezing out. So do a little practice, figure it out, and then go across. And that's that's one of the big tips of applying glue. And when you're doing it, put it on both pieces of wood because it sets on there. And it soaks in a little bit, and then you got enough glue for them to meet and bond. I remember doing that in shop, and you know, you think, "Oh, I only need to put it on one." It's kind of like you know, I only need to put the butter on one bread, right? Like this, <laughs> but it would do so much magic on you know. Oh, look at this! But it's mainly, yeah, you're putting it on one, so I better put more. No, split the difference, one on one, and one on the other. Yeah. And when you're feeling it with your index finger going across, you're actually spreading it out a little bit. Make sure you cover up all the surfaces so you get a nice seal when you do glue it together. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's phenomenal, though. It's, it, it really these things kind of throw you right off, right? When you don't, when you think about the, the the sense of it all, Jeff. And sometimes we just don't, being new, you know, and you think, okay, I'll take the shorter line of, of attack. Well, no, it ends up being more. Yeah. And the other thing is another tip that is important for me is body position. Like if you're cutting carrots or you're cutting vegetables or anything with a knife or something, you're pretty aware of what's happening at the moment. And just like when you're on a machine in the shop, if you're at the miter saw, I line up my pull because it's a forward backward direction of action with my shoulder. That way, I know if I put my hand straight out with my other hand straight mm -hmm. out, I'm this far away, my shoulders distance apart from the action and my hands on the handle. So I can hold the board that I'm cutting up against the fence and do the action, get done, count to three. After I think it's all stopped, I still count to three. And then there I am. But it's the body position. Are your feet firmly on the ground? Do you have too much sawdust on the ground? Is Are you stepping yes. on a pencil or a piece of wood or something? Same with at the table saw. You want to be in the position where when you're pushing that board through on a nice stroke, it's just one body motion that's doing it. And you know exactly where your other hand is at the time. And uh, another thing, while you're doing all this, I talked about your footing, your body posture and stuff like that no loose clothing. You don't want da something dangling a chain down. If you have something hanging from your uh, or long hair, you want that tied back loose sleeves. No, it doesn't work. Anything with a tie around it 
headphones uh, with a cord, nothing like that. You don't want to get caught up in anything and you want nothing but safety first. It's um, funny that you bring up the position of about... a live eye of, of a lathe uh, and, and it's not pretty. Sorry, Brock. Go ahead. It's funny <laughs> that you bring up the about body position because it is something that we take for granted or can mm-hmm. potentially in that oh who cares where my body's position i'll just do this but then if we do it in the wrong way our body can either put ourselves in a danger position or later on you're like oh why is this hurting and it's because oh my body position just isn't right we don't Mm -hmm. think about it do we jeff we just if you don't know enough or have not had an an unfortunate experience or the aches you're talking about brock we, we just don't know and you get putting things you don't think about Oh, gee, the floor is a little slippery. Well, after I'm done this, I'll fix it. I'll clean it. Mm. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take the broom to it. There are so many little things that we forget. Like you said, loose, loose clothing or, uh, you know, worst case scenario, you know, headsets. You're not going to think about, you're going to think maybe just breaking them, let alone it yanking you in. Yeah. And in the wood shop, the stuff that we do in the wood shop, you know, you you really want to start out having good habits to it. Um, the other thing is, a lot of people think that this is oh, this is a motherly thing, or yeah, 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 they say that. But <laughs> when I'm talking about earphones, like putting on headphones, they have sound ones, so like they'll use um, for chainsawing or anything, but we use them in the shop too, or you get the rolled up ones. I don't prefer the rolled up ones because my hands get dirty with glue and all sorts of stuff. And I don't want to keep rolling them up with those hands in a sense where I can just put on two cups and reduce the, the noise volume. The other thing is safety glasses. Um, whether you have goggles, which gives you maximum protection or safety gla- rated safety glasses with the shields on the sides to catch stuff that comes from multiple directions. Or if you just have the uh, typical safety glasses with the glasses that are rated for safety. I like the goggles because so many times uh, air is blowing Something happens, Mm -hmm. it comes from the sides, and that's where it gets me. If I'm not wearing goggles, I do like the kinds with the shields on the side, too, and they feel good, and they protect your eyes. Just because we're blind, vision impaired doesn't mean a speck of dust doesn't hurt. (laughs) Or or that you, who cares? You know, my eyes, I can't see anyway. Yeah, it's that pain, and what else can happen? And uh, we can think of numerous things that getting anything in your eye, whether you can see or not, whether you have an artificial eye in there or not, you Mm -hmm. don't want it. No. And same with uh, your lungs. That's one of the big things. We you, we want to create an environment where it's safe for our health. And so when we're talking about lungs, we want to have something to protection, some protection going on over our mouth, so we're not breathing the uh, the sawdust and everything. So that's that's a very big thing. Even for these short little cuts, I'm just going to do this once. It'll be real quick. But over the years, that adds up, just like musicians. Everything like that. It adds up over time. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny you use the example of musicians because, you know, there's so many that will tell you that. Like Phil Collins, for example, and the damage done to his, his ears. People working in a shop uh, or around any noise. There's so many things we stop and say, hey, we know what, where they worked, what they did. And, and it, can be quite, it can be quite damaging in just a... Little spurts and in very little time, Jeff. Yeah, I tell you. The the other thing I want to talk about is 
preparing your space. Like right. if you're boiling water to do noodles and you got to put them in the colander, you don't want to be carrying a pot of boiling water and then realize you got stuff in the sink and you don't have the colander out. You want to have all this stuff ready to go. And you want to be able to cut the wood, put it someplace where you don't have to change your body position as much. You want to, if you're carrying some wood in, you want a place to put it. You don't want to try and find a place and move stuff around while your arms are full and everything. So if you're setting up like we we're doing the gluing er earlier, if you think about it, what are you going to do when you get glue on your hands? You want some rags around. You want some paper towels. You want some a little tub of water, like a cottage cheese tub that you save. Save a few of those. Have them in the shop. Put some water in it because as soon as your hands get glue on them, you want to wash them off a yeah. little bit, wipe it off with the paper towels, throw it into a garbage. Have all that set up before you open up the glue. Thus, then you can keep your project clean, do everything. And that's preparation. Know what's going on as you go about it. If I'm going to need a click ruler, I'm going to get the click ruler. If I'm going to need a, a razor blade or a file or anything else, I will go get that stuff first. Get it set up before I start my project, put it in an area. And if I'm going to have small parts or anything coming apart that I want to save, I usually have another little tub that I put them in because you know, typically a sighted person can just set things anywhere and just grab them. I can't do that. I need to keep them contained. And if I smooth something, I don't want it falling on the floor or something else. So I need to get my position, my placement, everything that I'm going to be working on in a certain area and the walkway going to and fro. It has to be clear too. It takes time to develop this habit. Well, and it lets you get an idea of your space. And it's funny because I think about kids shows and we we up here in Canada, we've already mentioned this fellow on, on the show, uh, Mr. Dress Up. You guys had Mr. Rogers at the time and everything. But these guys back when I was a kid always built something. And part of the effect of, of the show was getting everything out and saying, we're going to need this. What else? Oh, I'm going to need this. Okay. And give you that lesson as a child, really, to get ready, to put everything out, to be able to put your hands on. Like, I love this about the about place to put your hands in the water, the margin. What for you, Jeff? As you started the process, would you say to people when they say, well, being organized that way, is it for you, The having everything out ahead of time? Is it just somewhere to wash your hand? What was the thing that you swear by for you because of your circumstance that made that difference? Uh, failing, getting glue on a project. Then you go to staining, and then all of a sudden it won't take the stain where your hands were touching with glue on it. Um tripping over something, breaking something, <laughs> losing a piece or dropping a uh, piece of equipment that you pay money for. You might just be moving it two inches back, but you could drop a $100 piece of equipment off the backside of mm. your workbench. Um, it's just small little, and you can get injured. You can trip and fall. And it's easy to do if you're leaning wood up against a wall. Gravity can be your friend, but if you lean something up, you bump it, it's going to come down. So I like to lay things flat. That's another little thing. Um, the other thing is putting things away. So when I want to go get them, I don't lose time and everything like that. We talked about that on a lot of times we've talked about it on this show, but mm -hmm. putting them away. And after you get done with that little project, that little part of the project, put them away because then you're actually prepping your space again because you're cleaning up that area, getting the glue off the table, getting that water. I don't like spilling water onto wood, so I like getting rid of the water. I'm done with gluing. All my rags go away. The garbage can moves back to where it belongs, and I'm 
prepping my table for the next process, the next thing that I want to do successfully and safely. All of this makes your project go more efficiently, too, I would think. Like if you're doing, you know, making a, a bigger workspace or what have you, it makes your project go more efficiently. If you're organized, does it not? Frustration <laughs> is what <laughs> happens. You're doing something. You can't do this. You can't just think like if someone switched your silverware drawer with another drawer and you went to make something and you opened up the drawer, how long would it take you to get used to that? You know, so and how much time would you lose? You know, you open it up. It's not there. Well, that's what happens to me in my, my shop it used to happen to me now more than ever. It's where I want it. And the frustration level really is a lot better. The efficiency is better. And you just go according to your plan that's in your head that you want to keep moving on. Yeah. Is it when you're trying to help someone else get themselves organized, you know, like somebody who wants to set that shop up and you get to this point of it? I mean, there's only so much people are going to obviously soak up find useful like I, I kind of asked you that question just because for you what did you learn and I know we're talking over time Jeff to say yeah these are the important things for me a j m whatever they might be on your list how many there might be but that's through the experience of time um I guess the safety angle is what you hit people with right off the bat positioning don't you know don't leave stuff to trip over and and you don't want to wreck stuff as much as possible know your space I though those leading tips for that person I said Jeff help me get myself together help me set up my shop yeah exactly it's start out by just doing some projects that are simple and when you're getting something out put it away how do you get to your toolbox where is your toolbox how do you have to walk around something every time is it better to lay it out a different way so the, these are just simple tips. I, I say they're simple tips to me now, but they're yeah. tips that came through a lot of experience. I could play a 30-year video, but it'd take you 30 years to get it. So I just grabbed a few of them that I like to practice. And if I do practice these, my time in the shop is a lot more efficient, a lot more safer and enjoyable. I wonder how often people, as this process over your years doing it, how many times you've changed this or moved location for this because you've realized this is better here or I'm doing it. It's got to be such a long work in progress before you could literally stand there and say, this is almost perfect. I think it's ever changing as you evolve, as your projects change, you might all of a sudden start using more hand tools, more power tools or a combination. And you adjust, you, you mentioned one time, did I face my screwdrivers all the same direction from smallest to largest and all that? Actually, to tell you the truth, I did that at one time. Now I have the ones I use the most on the lead edge facing left and right. So I don't have to go in and sift through them. Typically I use two or three of each but there, I got those three out front. So that changes over time. You know, you, you don't overthink it. Just think about it when you're doing a project, what, what went wrong and make a slight change to it, adjust to it. And you'll have a lot more better experience as you move along. Thanks. So Tom. true. That's great. And so true. And so, you know, simple to just say, don't overthink something. I think a lot of us sometimes want to overthink that to make it the perfect situation, and it's not necessarily there for us. Jeff, thank you so much. As always, great stuff, and we'll talk to you on the fourth Thursday of the next month as we do. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Brock. Have a good one. You as well. Jeff Thompson, talk to us about woodworking.
today. We're going to head off for a couple of moments. When we return, the NBA season officially tips off today. We break down the Toronto Raptors and all things NBA with Randy Urban of NBA TV. We'll be back with him after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. You got two sports clowns sitting right here, ladies and gentlemen, in front of you. So what that means is we're going to get right to our next guest because there'll be too many questions that will be abounding as Brock and I settle in. And with it being opening day NBA style, well, we're ready to go as it officially kicks off today. We're going to start by breaking down the Toronto Raptors and everything NBA, anything that comes to our minds, we are going to cover right now with our friend of the show, Randy Urban of NBA TV. Welcome back, Randy. What's going on? You all set? Oh, yeah. I'm excited for tomorrow. Finally here. It's been a long off season, especially for uh, for the fans and people like me who work with the team. Is it? Um, well, I know we're going to talk about some of this stuff, but do you find yep. it a harder year to get your head into it? Or are you kind of excited? I, I, I feel for me, as much as people say, well, what's Darko going to do with the team? What's going to happen? Where are we going to place? I kind of get excited. Oh, there's a lot to be excited about. There's a different energy around the team this year, Kelly, than in in years past with, you know, Darko being a a first-year head coach. He is coming with a lot of energy. And so training camp has been a completely different vibe. Uh, Everybody's working hard. Everybody's smiling. There are people that are having a good time. And there's some really healthy competition going on. So I, I always get excited, right? It's just like the every year, and if you're a baseball fan, a basketball fan, a hockey fan, you feel the same. There's a sense of optimism. There's a sense of okay, well, maybe this year is the year that that things can get put together a, a, a little bit better or a different way, and and you fulfill and exceed some of the obligations or some of the expectations. For sure. Well, I I'm kind of excited. Uh, Nick Nurse moves on. Uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure, in a moment or two. But I, I'm excited for the doors opening for some people to see some of the guys mm-hmm. that where people felt maybe Nick Nurse wasn't playing them. Um, I'm excited to see them, you know, how things develop where some people may feel, well, you're running Van Bleed out there as long as he's not injured. You know, how, how does that make room for others? So we're going to see some of that with him, of course, gone. Um, now yeah. we've lost that key player. How big is that to this team? Well, I think it's always big when you lose someone of Fred Van Bleet's stature um, and not big. He's not a big guy at all. And that's what I think is Mm -hmm. so amazing about Fred was that, you know, he is not the fastest guy in the league. He is not the strongest guy in the league. He's not the quickest. He's not the tallest. He can't jump. And yet this guy is in the NBA and excelling has been an all-star like those ingredients just do not happen in the NBA. So what Fred brought to the table was this sort of inspiration, this sort of, you know, bet on yourself. And obviously when you're that type of player and you make it to the NBA, you have to have strong leadership skills. And he had that, he had that where he went to college for four years and, and he had that as a Raptor. And so you do miss a guy like that, but you're not, as much losing that you don't lose all of that when you bring someone else in and what the Raptors have done to bring in Dennis Schroeder to kind of fill that void. I think this is a great pickup. I I don't think, look, there are two different players completely. 
but Dennis is going to provide some leadership as well. He's 10 years in the NBA already, which is an amazing accomplishment for any metric. Uh, he can shoot the ball. He, he can score uh, off the bounce. He plays with um, boundless energy. You know, mm-hmm. he's come in shape. He, he's got a little bit more shape to his game. Um, I, I've seen a few more lob passes. So Dennis comes with, you know, a different vibe to his game. And, and you know, look, he's coming off a, a summer where he became a world champion oh, and he was the yeah. head of the snake for, for that team. So he's coming in with extreme confidence as well. He's, he's played on a number of teams up to this point. But for me personally, I've always liked his game and I'm excited to see how he fits because Kelly, he doesn't have to just be the point guard to have the ball. Dennis has played with, other ball-dominant players, most notably LeBron James. So he knows how to just blend in, mesh with what they have. And so when you think about when you think about what they probably want to do with Scotty this year, which is have him have the ball a little bit more often, Dennis will have no problem fitting in in that scenario. And that I think that's the great thing. So, yes, you lose something in Fred VanVleet, but you're gaining something that you, cert- you didn't have as well in Dennis Schroeder. I also don't necessarily feel it's fair to say, well, you're losing Fred VanVleet. We all know the caliber to which he was. It's not fair to say, can somebody fill his exact shoes? That's not mm-hmm. fair. I think Dennis Schroeder comes in as a different person. will have some pros and cons, as you well point out. But it's not fair to say, are we replacing exactly what what Fred was? Because to me, that's not really possible in today's professional sports world. Yeah, it, it certainly isn't. And the other thing that I think fans need to to remember is that, look, you couldn't pay Fred Van Vliet what Houston was going to pay him, not with the way the team is structured now with who you are paying. So they're really, they were really weren't left with any choice. This was Fred's decision to, to take that much money, and you can't blame him for that. But the Raptors just weren't in a position to sort of offer that type of contract. And I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't see any other scenario other than the way that it played out. So, you know, financially, it just makes sense the way it happened. And and also you're right. It, you you got to, people have to stop worrying about, you know, how do we exact have this exact replica as a replacement? No, that's not, that's not how life works. The NBA, if the NBA has shown anything is that it continues to go, like it just keeps moving on. And so, if it's not Fred, it's somebody else. And, and, and if it's not somebody else, it's going to be another person. So that's just the nature of the business. That's the nature of basketball. Are there any other off-season moves that you could uh, tell us whether you like or dislike for the Toronto Raptors? Well, for one, I like the fact that they brought in Garrett Temple. Uh, Garrett Temple is somebody that I've had my eye on for the last number of seasons. I think he brings some professionalism to to his craft. Uh, he's a great defender. He can hit the three point shot. And what I love about Garrett is his energy. He's so positive. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met and he's a true pro. So wherever he sees where he can make an impact, if that's not playing, if that's playing, whatever it is, this guy is going to do it. And he has head coaching and coaching aspirations. So, you know he's not going to be somebody that's going to sulk at the end of the bench if he's not playing. He's going to be somebody that brings up these young guys. He's going to be somebody that motivates them. He's going to be somebody that, you know, plays with as an example to these people. And so whether he plays or not, this is a great guy, I think, to have on your roster to develop the other guys. And the other guy that I like that nobody really talks about that much is Jalen McDaniels. 
he comes from a great family. His brother is, is in the NBA, Jaden McDaniels for the Minnesota Timberwolves. He is long. He is athletic. He can shoot it a little bit. This is the way the Raptors, to me, seemingly are going to play, which is pushing the tempo, sharing the ball. This is going to create a lot of opportunities for a guy like Jalen McDaniels because he is just so athletic. And, he, and him running the floor is going to be scary for the opposing defenses. So I like that pickup, too. Of course, he's not going to start, but he's going to be a contributor off the bench. What do you think about Nassai Najuri and company? Um, would you suggest they're on the hot seat? No, I, not even not even a little bit. And this is, you know, I see this in the comments sometimes uh, on, on social media, and it kind of makes me laugh because – well, it makes me laugh and it frustrates me because we're we're living in a in a society where if you don't have results like immediately every year, then you're on the block or you're you know on the hot seat, which is just so ridiculous. People spend their entire careers at the positions of of Masai and Bobby and never win. There is one team that wins every year. That's it. And when you look back at the last 10 years, I think it's Toronto number two and state number one in the number of wins uh, for the franchise over those 10 year span. So this team has been successful. Obviously the, the expectations last year were higher and they didn't meet those. And so, you know, people start to question or not whether or not we, we should have traded Fred or what we should have mm -hmm. done with OG or Pascal and all this kind of stuff. But you have to let that stuff play out. You can't just give players away just because the fan base says, oh, we won 42 games last year and lost in the play-in, then we should have been better. Yeah, that, you know how many other teams should have been better? 29 other teams, 28 other teams, one team won. Every other team wants to be better. That's, that's just how the way, way the NBA works. So I do not think that you know, people that have already been successful, like Masai and Bobby, that have already brought a championship, that have already brought in winning players year after year after year, like there's no reason why they should be on the hot seat. Like that's just, you know, it's 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 silly to me because, you know, if I have a bad show, am I in the hot right. seat? You know, like that right. should be, like, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, I, sometimes yeah, you just have a bad here. day. They let me... They let me stay around all the time with bad well, shows or not. Well, hey, I um, wasn't going to say well, anything, but yeah. I know. No, I, I, what, what was the term? Uh, I resemble that remark. Talk about Darko. Uh, what are your feelings on this new new coach? Well, from from a from a former basketball player, not at a not at a, any level other than university, I would have loved to have played for a guy like Darko. This guy is all energy, all effort. Um, he's nice. But but he's also strict and he's fair, you know, and this is those are the types of guys that you want. You want somebody, a coach that's transparent. Hey, you're not doing this. This is why you're not playing right now. Hey, you're doing this. This is why you're playing. This is what I feel like this guy is. And he has just completely changed the energy in the building. When you walk into the practice court, there's a life there right now. I was just there the other day and I saw Malachi Flynn and, and, and Dennis Schroeder kind of playing a little shooting competition and Schroeder, you know, got the win and he literally sprinted around the whole gymnasium, just, you know, celebrating, but not in a <laughs> look at me type of way, just like a time trying to have fun. And, and, and because basketball is a game, obviously there's millions of dollars at stake. There's, there's lots of things, but you can't take the joy out of the game. And I think Darko mm. um, is doing that. He's bringing the joy back into basketball. And look, I think, this is a big point. We saw in the in the World Championships this summer that you don't just need stars 
in isolation to win games. You need team basketball. And that's what, that's what Darko's bringing in. He's bringing in this mentality. Of course, yes, the ball is going to find the best player. Pascal's going to score. OG's going to score. All these guys, Scotty's going to be his hands on every possession. That's going to happen. And it will happen because you're sharing the ball properly, right? And then, so that's going to that's gonna equate to wins. And so I think bringing in Darko, look, uh, he was my favorite candidate that was mentioned out of the three. And he is not, he has delivered on everything that I thought he was. And I think the management is happy with that as well. And so I'm excited for this guy. It's a first-time head coach um, in the NBA. But look, he is not a first-time head coach. He's been a, a head coach since he was 16 years old. He has a degree in coaching. Nobody wow. I know in the NBA has a degree in coaching. This is just what, what he's done. That's This was his preparation. He's been in the NBA at an assistant level for a number of years. And, and Kelly, I'll say this, guys. You can – you can spot a head coach and there's something about them, something about their demeanor, something about their, just the way they Confidence, carry themselves. Their swagger, right? Confidence. Yeah. This guy is a head coach in the NBA. There's no question about it. And, and so I think the Raptors are in good hands. Did we lose that so, with nurse? Is that what kind of, uh, d- d- you know, just, I know I'm asking it's you to hard speculate. To say. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, I did notice that there weren't, times where there were times where the team just wasn't playing for each other. And I don't know that that's always the coach's fault. The coach just no. seems to get the brunt of that. They become the fall guy. Look, these are, you know, you're, you're dealing with, um, you know, young personalities, with large sums of money and personalities and things like that. And, and everybody, I, I played basketball. There's people that, Hey, I want the ball more. I want to do this more. Like this is just an inevitable thing of basketball and it's not always the coach. And it's just sometimes, just the way things happen. You know, you don't go on a winning streak. So then you lose a little more times than you're used to. And then that creates a little bit of different energy. And then you don't rebound as well from that. So there's lots of factors that go into, you know, the situation playing out the way it did. Um, So uh, it's hard to say. Um, I know Nick Nurse is a good coach. I think he's going to be successful in Philadelphia. So uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a coach blamer because I'm a coach myself. So right. yeah, <laughs> probably why. Yeah. The the number one thing that I see on all the conversations with Darko, it's not the fundamentals that leads the conversation. It's not the number of wins. Sure, that's what the ultimate goal is. But the number one thing I see is his relationship with his players. How do we mm-hmm. as fans see that what are we going to see when we think of relationship with fans like if that's the number one focus of all the networks that most of them Mm -hmm. anyways that i've seen how do i as a fan look and say that's how this looks on the court now yeah well that's a great question you know with darko coaching is relationships you have to be a master at relating to people because everybody is going to need different motivational tools everybody's going to need different support um so when I watch Darko coach, I see a guy that knows how to treat the collective the right way. And he knows how to treat each individual the way they need to be treated to maximize their potential and their output. This is a guy that's, you know, look, he comes from Serbia. These, these, these war-torn countries, they have a different perspective on the way life is. And, and, and so they're able to exude that sort of personality. They're able to exude that sort of perspective onto their players just by their background. And he does a wonderful job at that. And the few times that I've seen him coaching individual players, 
he relates to them and he has such the, uh, an amazing energy, a genuine energy about him that even if you're trying to get X player to do some of the most basic thing, like just make a right-hand lamp, you know, 10 times in a row, you'll do it for him because he knows that you, he knows that you know that he's on your side and he's doing this for the betterment of the team and for the betterment of that person individually. And he just has that energy. He just, and so yeah. from a fan's perspective, I think the fans are just going to love that part of him because, you know, the other show I work on is open gym and that documentary show. And, and for us in the summer with Darko, everything that we've wanted to do, he said yes to, he's, he's just been great. He's just opening the door to, Hey, this is, this is what we do here. We, we cover the team. And he's like, great, great, great. Let's do it. Let's do it. So wow. I think you're going to see a coach nice. that, that, that fans are going to fall in love with for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to see how somebody like Malachi Flynn takes to that because I, I felt so sorry for him at times of not getting those opportunities. I got about a minute here with you, Randy. Yeah. There are a few super teams out there right now, Milwaukee, Boston, Golden State. Are they our favorites going into the year or what do you see? Who's your dark horse? Well, I think this year is really wide open. First of all, I will say Malachi Flint looks great. He's making shots. He's bigger. He's stronger. I'm excited for Malachi Flint. But going back to the super teams, I think you got to worry about Boston. I think you have to worry about Milwaukee. Uh, in the Western Conference, I really just think you have to worry about Denver and and um, the Clippers if they stay healthy, which is a huge if. Other than that, this season is wide open. I really believe that this season is wide open. I think Cleveland has some questions. I think the Knicks have some questions in the East. I think Miami kind of overachieved. I think that there's an opportunity for a lot of teams to make some real noise. Um, look, I'll say I'll end on this point. Every year we say, oh, this player just left this team and he's with, and he's with this team now. I can't believe it. It's over. The season's already decided. No, that player was in the NBA last year and that team didn't win. So it's not like every decision that every front office makes to get a better player that it's going to it's going to fall into place. Look at the Brooklyn Nets. They they were supposed to have the greatest team ever assembled. They didn't even win one single championship with Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving. So it's another season that's going to be wide open. Of course you got the favorites, Milwaukee, Boston, Denver, you know, Golden State. I think they're a little old, but they're still considered a favorite. But you know, you just never know what's going to happen. No. No, the year-round entertainment of the NBA just keeps on turning. Thanks a lot, Randy. Yep. As usual, we'll do this again a little sooner, Nick, this time, maybe uh, as we get towards the, the trade deadline or something. Thanks, pal. I love it. Thanks for having me. Great show, people. Randy Urban of NBA TV. Do check out Open Gym. Catch his work over there on NBA TV, and we were previewing the upcoming NBA season. Brock and I will step aside for a couple of moments. When we return, we'll wrap up the show. He'll tell you a little bit about what's going on now with Dave Brown on their 9 a.m. program. We'll see what we've got for you. And I've got a closing moment. Hang out with us next. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. As usual, some fantastic conversations on the program. Please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you missed any of it and want to go back and check it out while you're in there. Maybe give us a rating and review. Look for the Kelly and Romeo podcast uh, available uh, from your favorite podcast platform. In the morning, 9 a.m., and if you missed those folks, they'd appreciate it if you subscribe to them too and uh, maybe you know, binge the show a little bit. That's now with Dave Brown. It's on the air at 9 a.m. in the morning. Brock Richardson's here with a little bit of a scoop on what they're talking about. The Toronto Public Library has created a sensory room for children with 
sensory needs. We learn more about this with one of the project leaders. Anu Kopecki discusses how possible strategies dealing with the housing crisis will also deal with climate change. That's a really fascinating com- conversation. And finally, Amy Amanti joins the program to talk about floating bus stops in North Shore area of the country. So that's going to be great conversation as well. And Amy Amanti, of course, comes from Vancouver. Now at Dave Brown, 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. Our closing moment for today, folks, is an interesting question. It gets kicked around, Brock, out there on the internet uh, in various forms through social social media. What's the biggest animal you could beat in a fight? Uh, this is regularly posed on social media for fun. Any thought, Brock? What could you take on? <laughs> maybe maybe a fly? For, for those of you that, <laughs> that, that, don't, that don't know, dexterity is a challenge of mine. And even flies can be uh can be a challenge but yeah me and 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 bugs and things yeah i don't think i want to get into a fight with them the brave little tailor that was the book my dad read to me a lot when i was a kid seven in one blow anyway go check it out one user tweeted the question and received many different responses one user said i'm not too confident in this maybe a crab so sort of like brock another said they could take on a goat meanwhile others were feeling braver with one joking a giraffe's got nothing on me and another writing a gorilla no kidding he had been practicing ma for six years now boxing in parallel for seven years I for sure could, he said. To settle the debate, Mail Online asked ChatGPT, who else, of course, and within seconds, the AI bot began spitting out a, a response. Firstly, the outcome between that fight of a human and an animal largely depends on certain factors, such as the size, the strength, and ability of the animal, as well as the specific circumstances of the fight. It said, in general, It claims that humans are not well-equipped to fight large, powerful animals. Even smaller animals can pose a threat to us due to their speed, agility, and natural weaponry. It added, however, that if a person had the correct equipment, we could maybe take on some impressively large creatures, according to ChatGPT. This includes a large dog, a wild boar, or a smaller big cat like a leopard or a cougar. Yikes, I, you, you wouldn't find me taking on any of them, Brock. Like, I'm not even interested in that aggressive cat trying to get it, you know, trying to get at its food. No, thanks. I will just steer clear. And I have some aggressive cats in my household. And when you get in the way of their food, it's trouble. I used to find that funny too. people with guide dogs to, you know, take out the food or whatever. I'm afraid my dog. And you just knew better. You don't drop anything or anything and get in the way or between the dog and that food, uh, no matter how trained, you know, like, hey, food is food, folks. Food is food. Brock, thanks again for filling in for a few days here on the program, pal. Appreciate your time, man. And just always fun to have you on board. Always a pleasure. And I always look forward to the next time. Tomorrow on the program when we kick things off, beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, producer Grant Hardy shares headlines on health, lifestyle, technology, and accessibility to get us going. In the Entertainment Report tomorrow with Corinne Van Dusen, the Actors Guild sets some Halloween costume rules for its members recently, so she'll talk about that. They're rubbing elbows with the NHL. Don't use this stick color. Don't use that tape. Cut it out. Brock. Have a good nap. Since you said earlier, sleepy boy, off. He's not even going to catch his Leafs game. 
Take care, folks. We'll talk to you tomorrow on the program. Fedora's off to you. Good night. I was having a conversation with Annette Dennis recently pertaining auditions. Many of us are getting these different auditions for different things that you could actually maybe make a little money on. So keep your eye out for some of those if you're on some of the uh, lists out there and from the disability community. Um, but a lot of it is doing self-tapes. Now, I remember the times when I started doing auditions, had to go out and try for something. Uh, even these campaigns that would be run and you, you would send something in, maybe your resume, maybe just description. Now you can fill a lot just there online not necessarily have to send a resume in. And I think they recognize that some people just have never done any of this stuff. They don't have that resume and they don't want to exclude anyone. Fedora's off to them. I know I appreciate it and many of you out there do and it gives them the best opportunity to get the right person. I think the hardest is doing the self-tape that they want you to do. It creates an anxiety, especially those of us in the low vision and blind community. Now, I can't speak for other disabilities, other circumstances, people in general. I, I think that you are trusted to yourself. There's not reaction if you're standing there doing a, an audition for people. You're left totally just on your own. And making sure just the little stuff of, uh, hey, am I in position right? Do I know what I want to say? Am I together? It's even the uploading. Did it go? Okay, there's a confirmation. Great. Filling everything out. How do you do it for this self-tape deposit versus the last time you drop one into a, a folder for someone? So that's the angst, that's the anxiety on top of, but a lot would say, yeah, but I don't have to worry about getting there. Whether it's in Toronto, whether it's in Vancouver, I don't have to fight that. I don't have to worry about a route. I don't have to be concerned about being on time until they call me for the follow-up, if I even get picked. So anyone trying these things, good luck. Uh, I'm sure if you do enough of them, you've got the formula down, and this is what I'm saying is like, oh, come on, it's easy. But boy, from someone who has done a lot of theater and had the opportunity to, to do enough auditions in life, it's certainly a twist. Can't say as I'd like to be auditioning for a play this way, especially in community theater, when you can go there, be in the space, meet the people, talk. And sometimes they don't want that either, but at least they get the full you, the, that personality right there. So it, it's interesting. Now, when it comes to TV, video of any kind, or, or radio, a lot of time one would stop and say, well, hold on, isn't my opportunity better to be up there on that screen? Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.